0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres.
1: Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren, Mr. Eric Shapiro.
0: Al, how are you? Yeah,
1: I'm I'm good, I think. Oh, good. You yeah, know.
0: yeah, you, you think one step at a time.
1: One step at a time. <laughs> so so now today we are uh, jumping into the guest. We've got a, another great one. It's been a great week. Today we've got a former prosecutor um, and a former FBI, uh, the guy that run it, and now he's got a book out. His new book is called Central Park West. It's a crime novel, and our guest is Mr. James Comey. So thank you for being here, James.
2: Well, thank you guys for having me. It's good to be with you.
1: Uh, The first question, of course, I come to is like, wow, um, what got you into writing fiction now from such a um, long life in, let's say, law enforcement?
2: A, a fair amount of nudging from an editor uh, on my nonfiction work. I last wrote, wrote Friction probably 40 years ago. I, I love to write. I wrote a lot in high school and college, did a lot of especially journalist work, and got away from it, returned to nonfiction after I got fired, And then one of the editors started saying, he kept calling parts of my nonfiction scenes, this scene and that scene. And I said, dude, that's my life. That's not a scene. And he said, yeah, but you write narrative well. You write dialogue well. Have you thought about writing crime fiction? And long story short, I said, nah, nah. And then the farther I got from government work, the easier it became to think about. And I decided to give it a shot. And I found it harder than nonfiction. But much more fun and addictive, frankly. So that's how I get into it. And I, and I love it so much that this is what I want to do until I'm old and foolish. And so I hope people like it. What was it that
0: made it harder than nonfiction?
2: Nonfiction, at least for me, was easy in that a thing happened and my job was just to make sure I recounted it accurately and wrote, wrote it in an interesting way, but imagination was forbidden and, and fiction was the reverse that imagination was everything, and I found that much more challenging because there wasn't, you know, a memo or a transcript or something I could go to and just tell the story. I had to make up the story and then make sure that the the story was good and that the dialogue stayed, that the characters didn't drift, these kinds of things, which are, it's much harder than I realized. And But, again, tons of fun in a way that nonfiction is not fun.
0: How long did it take you to do the
2: novel? From soup to nuts, about a year. So a little less than a year until it was finalized.
1: I was going to say, I'd imagine that um, when you're writing one style of book, when you're doing nonfiction, you're writing, like you said, your life. That's it's real stuff. The characters, the people around you. It may be your opinion of that, but it's one. It's it's just there. How do you create the uh, scenario in, in a fiction book? Like, how do you create characters in that? How does that work for you?
2: It works first by marrying well. I, my wife has read a ton of fiction and has a great ability to imagine a story. And so it almost always starts with Patrice saying, hey, what about this? And then we debate it, and I go off and write a summary of what we discussed. This is what the story would be and the characters that we've discussed. And then once we agree on that, I start to write. And and she comes up with a story, this story in particular, because she knew it's work I had done. So I'm writing what I know. I've been a mob prosecutor in these courtrooms. And then it became a source of joy, I guess, is not too strong a word. It became a source of joy for me because when I was writing this, my daughter was a grown woman. She'd been a four-year-old girl when I prosecuted John Gambino and Joe Gambino in courtroom 318 in the old federal courthouse in Manhattan and this amazing crossover in my life when I was writing this she was on her feet in courtroom 318 prosecuting Jeffrey Epstein's partner Glenn Maxwell for abusing young girls and my daughter was no longer a four-year-old she was the chief of the federal offices violent and organized crime unit and so I could think of her and not me but in places that I knew because the physical places haven't changed and doing the kind of work that I had done. So I guess that's part of what made it so much fun for me. I was writing about someone I loved in a place I loved in about work in those places that I loved. And that, that, um, uh, thinking Ghostbusters, they said, don't let the streams cross, but the streams crossed in a really good way for me. And,
0: um, on the heels of two nonfiction books, and you said you had also done journalism, then you had you had loved writing when you were younger and so forth. So it's been in you for a long time. But. Was it on the heels of the two nonfiction books that you realized that the capacity was there also? Like, okay, I can write an entire book. I might be trying a different kind, but this is at least something I can do.
2: Yeah, although I still didn't believe it. And I I don't think I still fully believe it. One of the challenges of being a well-known person, is that the right way to say it, or a prominent person, is it's hard to get people to tell you the truth, especially about yourself and when you suck. And so I agreed to give it a shot and decided that I wanted to write an entire book and then ask people who know that world, who I knew would tell me the truth, including some that I thought might take pleasure in brutalizing me. <laughs> and so I sh- I wrote the whole thing, spent a lot of time on it, especially my wife would give me feedback every day in a Google Doc, and I'd work on it every day. And then showed it to family who loved me enough to tell me the truth and to friends who were similar. And then I found people who knew the the genre knew the industry who I thought would tell me, cause I said, look, I don't want to, I don't want a vanity project. I'm not doing this with a ghostwriter. This is me and I don't want to waste the time. If, if this isn't good, then just please tell me and I'll go work at a law firm. I'll do something else. And enough of those people said, no, you, you got this and you can do, you've done this that I stayed with it. And now, obviously the key judgment will be whether the people are willing to spend their money to read it. But I hope that they do, again, because as I said earlier, I found it really rewarding work in a way I hadn't expected to, in part because it involves my wife and my family. But the work itself was really cool. And so that, anyhow, that's my journey. And maybe all those people have blown smoke up my rear end um, and everyone's going to laugh at the end, but I I hope not. And um, at the end of the day, I'm proud of what's come out, and I hope people like it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because the key thing, one of the key things of steering, from nonfiction to fiction, as you said, being a well-known prominent person. In the nonfiction, there's a story that people were eager to hear and they wanted the inside of it. And in order to administer that story, obviously writing takes a great deal of skill, but you're reframing yourself, I would say. Of course it takes talent to do nonfiction as well, and I do both, so don't get me wrong. But you're sort of now showing up before the world saying, hey, there's not just skill here in terms of writing, there's also talent, or at least I hope there is. So like you know, now it's time for a story and imagination and and emotion and drama, and it's uh it's sort of a it's it, it's it's in all respects they gave you
2: Yeah, that's right. And look, the advantage I have is that I've done all this, right? That I've I've prosecuted the mob. I've been in all these courtrooms. You know, the next book, which I've already finished a draft of, will be centered in the hedge fund world. And I worked for the world's largest hedge fund as their general counsel for three years, and so. I'm writing about worlds that I've been in and know, and so the imagination is an important part of it. But I don't need to imagine what it's like to prosecute a mob case because I've done it, and so that's an advantage. It, it makes a I'm going to make up a word that makes no sense non-fictiony fiction because it's it's real in a sense, right? I know the FBI, I know its tools and techniques, I know what it's like to work with a mob witness, a mob cooperator. And I'm trying to bring those things to life through a story that's made up. Uh, It's
1: interesting um, that you didn't use a pseudoname. You know, you've used your real name because you're quite established. uh, And people will have an opinion of you because it was kind of political, you know. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So there's going to be people that that love you or hate you type thing or say good things, bad things, whatever the case, right, stuff like that. So when you're coming out, one of the things being in the, in the world of writing in fiction and, and even nonfiction, one of the things in the last five, six years that'll kill you is being political. You know, you, as a writer, you try to stay away from saying anything, um, political on any of your social medias or you can get a lot of people against you. So it's, I, I find it curious that you didn't try to, uh, to try and use a cover name.
2: That's funny. <laughs> I considered it. And the publisher was having none of it. And I think part of that is that I, it was never one of my goals to be famous. Uh, fame is a bit like cotton candy. People think it's a good thing. I never did, but people think it's a good thing and it'll just rot your teeth. But it, it what's happened to me is, blessedly, my fame has faded. And so now I'm in a place where most people think I went to high school with them, or I'm a friend of their cousin, you know, Bobby's or something. And I actually ran into a lady in the supermarket not long ago in Richmond, Virginia, who said, I think I know you. And I I kind of shrugged. And she said, No, I do. And I said, well, I used to work for the government. And she said, No, that's not it. My husband works for the government. That's not it. And finally, I said, Well, I used to be the FBI director. And she looked at me and said, No, that's not it either. (laughs) And so I just shrugged and said, Okay, well, have a great day. I think that Some of the polarity has uh, washed off. Now, now, obviously, people who are very online, uh, engaged partisans, both left, I don't know if these terms make sense anymore in America, but at one end of our bell curve, at the other end, we'll have strong feelings. I can't do anything about that. But I, I hope, and I think the publisher thinks, that for most people, if anything, the name will just look familiar to them or the face will look familiar to them. And so but we'll see. Maybe people have strong enough feelings that it doesn't yes, work that When that. I,
0: I was excited to do this interview when Hal invited me, and I put on Facebook that I was doing it. And a lot of my progressive friends weighed in, and they were like, are you going to ask him the question? Are you going to ask him the question about the 2016 election and how he feels about it? And uh it's it's fascinating because – uh yeah, there's more than one end to the whole scenario. I mean, you were later fired by Trump. Yeah, you later spoke out against Trump. You later wrote a book about the entire scenario that was transparent, and that—that that was my big question going into it. Not about 2016 per se, but about your perception of yourself culturally. Like, are do you think you're embraced within more of a conservative envelope, or uh, left, or is the left more friendly, or is it just predominantly, as you said, that you don't think there's any. Uh, real imprint at this point
2: yeah i don't know eric i yeah i don't know i don't have any be- you probably have better sense of it than i but mm, i yeah. i think there are people on the wings of our political bell curve who have great passions <laughs> and negative feelings about me it's one of the depressing facts about our confirmation bias bubbles that the people in the left bubble who think that i was trying to help elect donald trump don't realize that the people in the right bubble hate me because they think I was trying to protect Hillary Clinton and stop Donald Trump when neither of those things is true. And so I don't know, honestly. I mean, I, I think there are strong feelings, that, which I, I regret, but I'm sorry that people feel strongly. But I, I hope that in the main, the great middle lump that is America, that readers in there will give it a shot. And there's nothing political at all about this book. I hope they find it a great story that also shows them inside institutions that are really important. But again, I I don't know, which is part of the risk and the vulnerability here, and maybe it won't work for that reason. But yeah, there's no doubt that people the that, that people who are passionate about their politics often have a strong feeling about me and the the cool thing is if I can spend 5 minutes alone with them that feeling changes. But I can't. I mean, how do I spend time alone with people on those numbers?
1: Your, your book covers a lot of um, inclusive uh, characters, you know, like uh, female, your, your, your race, different races, um, sexual orientation and stuff like that. Was, there, was this a, a conscious thought uh, in, in, in writing your book? Did you want to cover a lot of the, the basis like that? Was, there, was it a kind of a planned concept, or did just characters come to you?
2: It just came to me, but it's a product of who I am and the way I see the world and the influence of my family. And I've got four smart, strong, tall women uh, for daughters and an amazing wife. And so I've learned a tremendous amount from them. I mean, there's stuff in the book about the search for sexual identity, and I've learned a ton about that from one of my daughters. And so I'm better for having had them in my life but this is this reflects the way I see the world I mean the reason I grieve which the public doesn't get the reason I'm so sorry I was fired is my main mission was to change the face of the FBI and attract to that institution people who don't look like me because first of all there's a moral imperative but the institution is less effective than it needs to be and I got there and discovered that 82 percent of our special agents were white and been, that percentage had been growing for over a decade. It scared me. And so I tried to talk to the institution about why these things matter. And so it's just my original plan, as I think I said, I was going to go with a male protagonist and switched it to a female after thinking about my daughter. That was pretty easy. But the rest of it is just a reflection of how I see the world.
0: Okay, we're looking, I'm looking at the book right now. I have it in my hands. So we're, we're talking about blurbs uh, that are so high profile from Harlan Coben. Michael Connolly, Douglas Preston, Jeffrey Deaver. Connolly saying it brims with been there, done that authority. It's clear James Comey knows this world like the back of his hand. I'm particularly curious because obviously you know it. You have uh, outsider support. You have readers. You have your wife uh, helping you at a deep level and so forth and supporting you. I'm curious how you synthesize the knowledge. And uh, I want to use the word research, but that's not exactly the word because it's so – so much of it is is lived in. Um, How do you synthesize that, your background in it, with suspenseful storytelling?
2: Well, it's hard. The easy part is I know those worlds, and I know those cases, I know the courtrooms and all of that. Um, Coming up with a good story, as I said earlier, I lean heavily on my wife who's got a great vision for this, and what she and I do is we agree upon the entire story. So this is, this is what the story is if you lifted the curtain entirely. And then we debate and I go and try and she gives me feedback what pieces to show to the reader and when. And one of her great passions has always been, she, I can hear her saying it. She's not in the room, but I hear her saying, I hate when a writer hides stuff from me so they can fool me. And so the trick is what are we going to, what part of the curtain are we going to lift and when? And we debate it, and then I go off and write it, and she reads it and says, "Okay, good, you got that." Or she says, "I think you ought to try again," and I go try again. And then we ask people, especially family members, read it, tell us what you think. Were you surprised? Was your interest held? Was it? Did you think that we had done a Deus ex machina or something, if, or fooled you in some respect? And if so, where did you feel that? And she'll just collect all that feedback. And then I just keep iterating and iterating until I'm ready to show it to my agent and then show it to the editors at the publishing house. So that's the process. I think, I hope I answered the question, but of synthesizing, matching up that knowledge with maintaining suspense and interest and pace and holding it, holding people's interest well enough sounds like
1: uh, Patrice should have been your uh, co-author. Yeah,
2: we talked about it. <laughs> but she, if she were here, she'd say, yeah, but then I'd have to do podcasts and I'd have to do interviews. <laughs> and she's, my two grandsons are napping upstairs and she'd rather be uh, handling that duty.
0: Well, let's look. I'm looking at the acknowledgements. Uh, first and foremost, I'm grateful to Patrice, uh, Patrice for literally everything. Um, yeah, I think that covers that. I think, you know, first acknowledgement is definitely for. Yeah,
2: it's... it's uh... It wouldn't. It, I would not be able to do this without her. Yeah. <laughs> and, look, I'm sure I, I said to her, you know, we spent more time together doing this than we did even when we were dating. And I'm sure there are things she's discovered about me that bug her, but it's worked and, and it's helped me improve as a person and a writer. But And so it's been so fun. That partnership, that's part of the, the specialness of it for me she couldn't be my partner at the fbi i couldn't talk to her about my work yeah <laughs>
1: i was going to see a protagonist you know nora the uh, federal pot prosecutor you've got um ha- how do you feel aligned with her or how do you feel like what 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 draws you to that character
2: but what, what obviously draws me to her is that she's captured this i've tried to capture the spirit of my girls in her you know the youngest of whom is 23 now but she is a person of principle who is rises connection to others. She is cares deeply about family, as I do, but and my family members do. And she is she represents to me what so many public servants are, and that all of them ought to be, which is someone who wants to do the right thing in the right way. and i I bump her in the book against her, Investigator Benny Dugan, who is much more willing, not to, not to break the law, but much more willing to do slightly rougher things at the edges, get closer to the sideline than Nora is, as a way of highlighting that part of Nora. In your experience
0: in uh, this array of professions, from FBI director to um, prosecutor, all the things you've done, um, would you say that the majority of people, that go into those professions are upstanding and operating with good intentions, doing the best they can, or is it a mishmash of that and people that, as you say, uh, bump into the sidelines?
2: They're overwhelmingly what we would all want them to be. But that doesn't mean, of course, the challenge is in all of those institutions of justice, there are people who shouldn't be there and are doing things the wrong way or doing things the wrong way for the wrong reason, and they bring shame on the profession. But my ex- lived experiences in the overwhelming main, they're good people trying to get it right. And they're doing this work, not for the money, because there isn't any money in it, because they believe in what they do. And that's true of legal aid lawyers that I've known. It's true of prosecutors, that they're people who want to be part of work with moral content. And, and so I hope to portray them that way, because that's my experience, while also not being starry-eyed about it. I mean, it... All people are complicated. All people are some combination of good and bad, in my experience.
1: So when someone picks up the book, takes it home and reads it, um, what is it you hope they take away from the book? I mean, of course, there's entertainment and all that. But is there some sort of a subtext, or do you have a meaning in it that you hope people uh, pick up throughout the book?
2: I hope, among other things, I hope they pick up this sense that we, that I just talked about, that get a sense of the people inside and and connect to them. That they're real people, they're flawed, they're struggling. They're at times times wrong, at times overconfident, at times a little rough. But what the people I really like to communicate that. And then I'd also like to give people a sense for what it's for what it's really like on the inside. I mean people who know this world better than I have said oftentimes in a crime novel the excitement comes from a, a protagonist going outside the law, a prosecutor or cop, breaking the law in service of some greater good or something. And that's all fine. But in my experience, that's not the way people conduct themselves. And it's still exciting. It's still incredibly exciting. And so I hope that they find excitement in seeing the work the way it's done or largely the way it's done. And then there's a bunch of other small things I, I hope they pick up about digital dust in particular and other things like that
0: you um, can you give us a glimpse of the work in progress? You said there's another one underway. Is it crime?
2: Yes. And it uh, involves Nora again, because at the end of this book, Nora announces that she's leaving government okay. and she's going to go work for a hedge fund in the Connecticut suburbs, so just north of, of New York City, which is something that I did at one point in my career. And so it's going to be centered in that world. It's going to be another crime novel and involve a number of the same characters in a good way. I, I, we have in mind, I keep saying we because of my my idea person. Go author. We have in mind <laughs> three books based, yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you you said that, that based in um, New York. And so I imagine, uh, or, or actually I have a, good, a pretty good picture already, of a third book that's centered in Manhattan and likely focused on white identity extremism and terrorism.
1: How has how has this whole process changed you? You know, the, the, the from the beginning to the end and now getting the book out and, you know, being a being changing into a fiction writer from being who you have been over the last while. I'm sure it's something probably people might not have really asked, but how how has this changed you?
2: I don't know. You know, I think I'm an unreliable narrator when it comes to myself, and so I'm probably not qualified to answer that. I, I don't know is the honest answer. I, I bet people hearing that are surprised by that because people seem to have those who remember who I am have a strong impression of me. Again, that's dispelled from spending five minutes together. But I don't feel different. I still feel the center of my life is caring for my grandchildren because I want to help my children. because They have lots of other responsibilities. And spending time with my wife. And so I, the honest answer is I don't know, and I don't know whether the people closest to me I'll have to ask them what the answer to that question is.
0: Uh, you have five children, three grandchildren. Am I uh, imagining, did you say you have five daughters, or that was my imagination? I have four daughters. You have four daughters, okay. And the, uh, the character of Nora is a one-to-one uh, representation of one of the daughters, or is it more an amalgam of, of them?
2: Yeah, it's, it's an amalgam. It's primarily inspired by my oldest, who's a federal prosecutor in Manhattan, but I've drawn from some of the other girls for other aspects of it and other aspects I, I made up. So she, Nora isn't entirely my oldest daughter, but those who know my oldest daughter will see lots of her in it.
0: And have all of your children read the book?
2: Oh yes. My, uh, my oldest has read it multiple times because I wanted, especially because it's focused on her world. I want oh, yeah. feedback and she gave me lots of great feedback, including that I had her office on the wrong floor and things like that. But, but, yeah, they've all read it um, at least once, I think, of the five. Three have read it twice now.
0: Well, that sounds supportive and positive. I mean, that, that, the next question, I think, answers itself. It sounds like you're a supportive gang.
2: Yeah. They cringe, I think, a little bit at me being out there again. I mean, so do I. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so do I. I. I cringe, too, the thought of you being out there. It scares me. <laughs> For you. Not, you know, I just, uh, I, I mean, I hope it goes well. Um, But listen, you know what? There's one really important question we've danced around all along here. Yeah, yeah. So, aliens. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us the truth. Come on, being the head of the FBI... We're we're come on aliens area fifty one what what's really going
2: on? See that's the problem. I'm going to give the honest answer is I don't know. I don't know anything about that. But then that's what I would say, right? If I was concealing
0: what was hidden in there,
1: we won't tell anyone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jim In general, though, on a a more serious note, do you feel the press coming back out again? Like Al says, like the atmosphere around it makes them nervous. And I, I mean, there is there can be this this atmosphere of tension. Uh, depending on what perspective you're coming from, in terms of uh, who you are, but do you feel
2: that the
0: press is friendly to you? Uh,
2: I don't. In general, you mean? In general, because I don't know what they're going to write about this book. I, um...
0: Right. Right. But in general, when when you're being interviewed and, and asked questions and they're in contact, like how is that a- atmosphere with you and the press?
2: Fine. I mean, because they know I will I will answer the question that I'm asked, and I'm yeah. do my absolute best to be transparent and full of my answers, and so and they also know. I think that'm you know, I'm never going to run for office. I don't I'm going to tell you what my motivation is, and so I think that makes the relationship not close but makes it uh, productive.
1: Well, that's all you can do. Just go with it and see what happens. you know
2: yeah,'s it, the way I feel about it. How,
1: how important was the setting and the location in your
2: book Critical, at least to me, because I wanted it to be in a place that I knew and could feel. I could close my eyes and smell it and hear the sounds of the you know the steps under my feet. So critical.
0: Are we in the first person or the third person?
2: Talking about me, I'm I'm speaking now in the first person. Oh,
0: uh, <laughs> is the book in the uh, is the book in the third person? Yes. Now, do you think uh, as the fiction career unfolds and you're already working on another one, which is a positive thing? Um, do you feel crime would uh, be your genre? You would you would stay there? or You're not sure.
2: Well, crime in a larger sense. I mean, I imagine writing about terrorism and espionage as well, because I've spent so much time touching that work. So I can picture books in D.C. My view and my wife's view is that D.C. is too awful right now to write about. But but I'd like to take readers to the FBI, to the Justice Department, to the White House Situation Room, to Congress, to these places I spent so much time through the lens of an f- interesting story, a fun story. and But it would be in those buckets. It would be crime, it would be terrorism, it would be uh, espionage. But I also like to write about policing. I mean, I've spent a lot of time as a federal prosecutor in Richmond, Virginia, a place with a very difficult racial history and challenges that aren't unique but common to American cities around race and policing. And so uh, I'd like to write about that as well. All, But again, all in the crime novel space.
1: Yeah, I think it's an, it's interesting. I think there's a lot of things... A lot of the public has a distrust um, for government agencies right now, and you hear a lot of conspiracy and, you know, like I laugh about the alien thing, but, and, you know, that whole, you know, who shot Kennedy and all this stuff, there's a lot of conspiracy out there, and there's a lot of dislike for law enforcement, and um, I'd, I'd imagine that puts a lot of pressure on someone that works in it, and, and and I wonder what it would be like from your point of view in something like that.
2: Well there's no doubt it's true and that there's a lot of well conspiratorial thinking there always is in human affairs, but especially in America now, but there's also a lot of suspicion and cynicism around law enforcement in in maybe an unprecedented way, because it's coming from again, I'm not sure the usual political directions make sense anymore in our country because I'm not sure what right is anymore. But coming from, say, MAGA world is a lot of hate directed at an institution like the FBI, which I think they see as a threat. And, but also from other parts of the political spectrum directed. I mean, think about us after George Floyd was murdered. The, the feelings that people had and manifested towards long, uniform law enforcement at all levels were powerful and real. And so it's a very challenging time in law enforcement, and it should be. I mean, one of my fears—I saw this happen after Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson—is that we'll stop talking about ways to improve law enforcement. That it will—that it will ebb. It'll flow when there's a controversy, and then it will ebb, and we'll all focus on something else. And I've seen that happen again since uh, George Floyd was killed. So I hope it won't take another horrific act by law enforcement for us to return to talking about ways to attract good people to law enforcement, train them in a good way, interact with the community in a good way. But, and as I always used to tell people, look, you should be suspicious of government power, especially police power, the power to harm you. In that way, you'd be suspicious. I used to think that conservatives were supposed to be people suspicious of all government authority, but they would reflexively back law enforcement in ways that didn't make a lot of sense to me. But, yeah, people should be suspicious and want to know. And law enforcement should be as transparent as possible about why. Why we did this, why we're doing that, what our plans are and our techniques are. And I worry we made some progress on that in response to tragedy, and I feel it drifting away again.
0: Uh, Despite the fact that Central Park West, your novel, is not overtly political, and Al highlighted that there's representation throughout it, um, are these themes you're passionate about, that you're talking about, particularly in terms of um, institutional, a healthy degree of institutional suspicion? Does it come across in some way? I think so.
2: I mean, the reader will have to decide. But, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to show that institutions are made up of people and people are flawed. And so I don't want to give away twists in the book, but I want people to understand also that there's a difference between truth and justice, that you can know something, but... Justice is about what you can prove under our rules of evidence in a court of law to meet a certain burden, and to the agreement of a jury that must be unanimous. And so, there's a difference there, and we've set up our system to make that explicitly a difference because it our view, my view, is that it's worth it to avoid the incalculable damage of convicting the innocent, which we still do on a too frequent basis. But I try to communicate that sense to the readers as well. But we'll see what readers think of it, what they, what they pick up.
1: You know, the the next thing I think about is being in law enforcement for so many years. It must jade you toward people, like, because you're always looking for the bad thing. You're always trying to look at the crime and maybe solve the crime or work the crime, but you're still looking at it. And I wonder if if you feel... That happened to you somewhat do you feel do you feel sort of like now that you're out of it and you're and you're writing um, do you do, do, do you look at it that way do you look at people that way when you see them
2: I do to a certain extent it's a danger I recognized pretty early in my career because I can remember early on having the sense that crime was everywhere that if you see a couple opening a trunk of a car it's they're not getting their luggage out they're breaking into it Right. If you see somebody walking up behind an old lady, it's, they're not passing them on the street. He, he's going to grab her or something. And so there's a real danger in law enforcement because that you the predicate to your question is exactly right. All you see are people in their worst moments. And you know, imagine being a police officer who works the midnight shift. You don't see mothers pushing strollers in the park on your beat at 3 in the morning, you tend to see people at their worst moments, either doing something bad or suffering something or in crisis. And so it can warp your view of the world. There's no doubt about that. I'm sure it affected my view of the world. I had a pretty dark view of humans from very early on. When I was in high school, a a really bad guy kicked in the front door of my parents' house, and I thought he was going to kill me that night. And so I had a sense that people are capable of really bad things from a very young age. But I, I don't know. The other thing about law enforcement that's kind of cool is you see people also at their best. You see not just fellow law enforcement, but EMTs and paramedics and doctors and volunteers and clergy doing some remarkable things. And so it, it tends to wash in both directions in a career like that. And so I hope I've ended up – look, I know people are – capable. that's why I said all people are good and bad. I've spent a lot of time with people who've murdered a lot of people and found some of them philosophical, interesting, funny, reflective, and so people are complicated is the sense I'm left with, and I hope I've had a balanced sense of that. Yeah.
1: Now, um, back in um, 2018, The Onion said that uh, you were a catty bitch from New Jersey and and you live for drama.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> You <laughs> could sort that. Uh, it is, you have touched on one of the favorite memes of my family, uh, and that my kids, if they find me, I don't know, getting worked up about something, I don't know, that relates to any small thing that families have to deal with, they'll say, yeah, Dab, you're just a catty bitch in New Jersey who lives for the drama. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's true. I think they would tell you that's not true, which is part of what makes it so, so funny. So I, that's my favorite it reflects affects me but that's my favorite onion headline
1: <laughs> that should have been the cover of that should have been the title of your book
0: right <laughs> man uh, Jim now that you're in the publishing world you've spent you've you're also established as an author this is now number three in a body of work that's growing uh when there's crises in the publishing world like to the tune of uh oh it was formatted in PDF and we wanted a powerpoint or things do you feel that there's a, a clash between what is high stakes in this realm versus what was high stakes in the realm you were in for most of your career?
2: <laughs> well, yeah, uh, not in the sense. So no one's going to die, right? <laughs> but right. but you, well, you you both know this. But there's a lot of work that goes into. You don't just write a book, right? Right. right? There's so much work in proofreading and correcting, and it's hard to stay with sometimes and. And the thing I learned from my first book is you know as the author you can't lose your energy you've got to stay with it but because otherwise you just say to you know a copy editor who wants to mess with one of your sentences you say yeah whatever whatever i'm exhausted but you got to stay with it till the end of the whistle blows but it's different than in my former life uh, the, sometimes the the consequences of screwing it up were a little different
0: do you feel it's it's um despite the differences, I guess I'm going to ask the inverted question of my last question. Do you also feel it's comparably high stakes and high pressure in its own way, the publishing world? Yeah. yeah.
2: Sure. Because you're going to, right, for the reasons that we've touched on, you're going to do something that you're going to show to the world. And and so there's a, I think that's part of the reason, I mean, we touched on this earlier too, that my loved ones cringe, because it, it does open you up to criticism and to vulnerability. and. But I'm okay with that. I mean, it's, I've always felt that way and I don't love criticism. And I, the challenge in today's world, which you guys also know is that you can't open the window fully or you'll just be overwhelmed. You know, I can't read Twitter comments because it's just not productive. And, but you got to open the window enough so that you hear thoughtful criticism. And so, yeah, it's a mixed bag, but it, there's a lot at stake again. No one is going to die, but there's a lot of pressure to get it right. And people, you know, people are going to read the book looking for something to pick on. Right? People are coming to the book with an impression. In, in my view, it's an inaccurate impression, but an impression of who you are as a writer. And, yeah, so there's, there's, uh, there's stuff at stake in that.
0: Yeah. It, what's interesting, Al and I were talking earlier about uh there, there's different pockets of readers. You said this yourself. Like there's the political pocket. And there's that perception, and we refer to that perception. But I also know there are, there are lots of people that are just like reading about crime and the system and the justice system, courtrooms and investigations. And that's, that's its own world. And I would say your name and your uh, credibility in that world is absolute. So that, that's a good zone to be in. I, I would say from that standpoint, it was a good steer.
2: Yeah, I hope so. And because I, I, I think, so what do I bring to the table? I hope that I, what I bring to the table is I really know my shit. And, and I write well and can tell a story in a way that holds interest, but there's all kinds of filters that people have to pass through to get to that. I think if folks read this book, even one of my daughters is fond of this expression, haters going to hate. And, and, but I think a hater, if they read this book would be like, hmm, I still hate this dude, but wow. And, and I hope that. If that's a hater's reaction, then most of the people who pick it up won't be approaching it with that hater filter. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And if they are, I mean, and that exists to some extent with any endeavor. So it is what it is.
1: Yeah. It's not much you can do about it. I get called an yeah. FD and all sorts of names, you know, Canadian. I mean,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: no,
0: that,
2: yeah. that tears
1: it. Don't call them a yeah. yeah I, I, can. I,
0: I told you I was sorry.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I get called all sorts of things, you know, and I just you, you get you, you have to build a little, but you you must have all that. How do you compare the two jobs? But now being a a writer and being an FBI director, what's is there comparisons? Or how do you feel between the two jobs?
2: I being a writer in some ways, it's an odd thing for me to say, but makes me worry because it feeds. It's consistent with my personality in a way that. Maybe could be unhealthy. That is, I'm a. Arlen Coben said this to me, and so I'm going to steal it. He described himself as a socially adept introvert, and I can do all the public stuff. I can go shake 500 hands. I can speak to a conference. I can do all of that. But then I need to come home and stare at a tree, and the hardest part of the FBI job for me was I was never alone, and there were. People guarding me in my house, even if my family was away, I knew there was, there was a presence downstairs. I was watched all the time and I found that draining. And again, I'm not, people are just different. Some people get energy from contact with others and big groups. I just was just never that way. And so I find being a writer easier because I can do it by myself, but I worry sometimes that I get I can fall in love with the idea of sitting in my rocking chair on the porch, staring at trees while I imagine and write. And so, forcing myself out of that isolation—obviously, my wife plays an important role there. I think it's healthier for me because I think if left to my own devices, I would stay in my backyard forever and have all my kids and grandkids come visit me. Well, that sounds all
1: right. I mean, I <laughs> what's wrong with staring at a tree? I do that all the time, I tell you. But um, so, listen: um, are, are you doing uh, social media? Or are you doing website? Or are you kind of out there for people to interact with, or are you staying away from that?
2: No, I. Well, I guess it's mixed. I've I created a website, jamescomybooks.com dot com, and I have a Twitter account that has. You know, crazy amount of followers, but I, I don't love Twitter. And so I, I haven't tweeted much. At the publisher's request, I've tweeted some. Who doesn't love Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should, Eric, I should have you manage my account. But, <laughs> yeah. but the, I, like, I really like compared to Twitter, Instagram. People are much lovelier on Instagram. I don't allow comments on my account because I don't want the nice people to see the nastiness. And so I've shut that off, but I, so I do that myself and I'm going to go out and do uh, book events around the country. I'm coming to Toronto and I'm going to a bunch of American cities and, and that'll be, I don't know how it'll go. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I'll, people, I don't care how hard the questions are. I like hard questions. I will answer questions directly about anything people want to ask about. And I just hope that it's, those conversations are productive. When, when I did, the first book, A Higher Loyalty, I couldn't do any book events because it sounds crazy to say the events were so big. They were in big concert halls. So this will be different than that, and I hope in a good way.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it will be, you know. Well, we'll, we'll put everything up and your book and, and so everyone can find it with one click, but I'm sure they'll have no problem finding you or the book, um, your big name. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, your new book is called Central Park West. It's a crime novel, and it's written by our guest, Mr. James Comey. So thank you for being on the show.
2: Thanks for a great conversation. I appreciate you guys. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Shows over. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is be a production of something Wave media. I'll be back.